This episode of Industry Focus is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com slash full. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, June the 26th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I have a very, very special guest joining me here today, none other than Jason Moser, live and in the flesh, fellow industry <laughs> focus healthcare, I'm sorry, not healthcare financials. Sure. Host, but I mean, but one healthcare. could argue that. Two, the two are very interrelated. It's, all, right? it's I mean, all the same. You need good financials that'll keep you healthy, and, and you know, bad healthcare will ruin your financials. So, and that's a great segue because <laughs> I've got Jason here today to talk about his healthcare and wealthcare basket. So yes, it's all interconnected, all related. <laughs> um, Jason, always thrilled to chat with you. Um, I'm really excited to get into the healthcare and wealthcare basket, but I think before we do, it's probably good to dive into the news that uh, I think I've seen at least 20 to 30 different headlines just today <laughs> about this one merger. The we've, one deal. We've gotten so many emails on Twitter. People are hitting me up. What do you think about it? It's all about this AbV Allergan deal. Yep. Um, let's just kind of run through really quickly here what that deal is all about, and then we can dive into our thoughts and opinions. Sure. So on Monday, Abby announced it would be acquiring Allergan, uh, maker of Botox, in a cash and stock transaction worth about $63 billion. Each Allergan share would receive 0.866 AbV shares and $120 in cash, roughly. That works out to about $188 of share, about a 45% premium on the prior day's closing. So, a pretty hefty premium. This is the second largest deal of the year. A lot of the industry-focused healthcare listeners will know we talked a lot about the uh, Celgene Bristol deal that kicked off uh, this year, I think, at about $74 billion. Affy, though, trading down about 14% on the news, Allergan up about 25%. Not uncommon to see the acquire get beat up. Um, but they are getting slammed, I it think. It does seem like news. that disparity is a little bit bigger than normal. Yeah. So, yeah. we're going we're gonna to dive into <laughs> all of that and more. But I think one thing, Jason, um, just here at Full HQ, there is not literally one person I've met so far that has said, wow, this is a great deal. I can't believe they waited so long <laughs> to do this. It feels like we're all kind of like, yeah, I Get it? I mean, it's one solution to what seemed like was a problem that wasn't really going away. I mean, I, I, it sounded like there was a lot of noise being made for Allergan to, to split up in some capacity to maybe realize some some value for shareholders that way. Um, so, this is kind of the, the opposite of splitting up is joining forces with another company. It does seem like at least the two joining together, they're somewhat complementary. I mean, I don't know. There's a, a heck of a lot of overlap there. In a space where scale obviously matters, particularly when you're facing problems like Allergan certainly is facing in, in a lot of key drugs coming off patent, uh, some drugs that they were hoping for a bit more success that aren't really panning out, and, and slowing growth really across all lines. So it's understandable. I'm not sure that I necessarily think it's the best thing in the world, though. It's a big deal, like you said. It's a huge deal. It's $63 billion. <laughs> You've got basically two mediocre companies that have been looking for growth literally anywhere, now joining forces to become, I think, one, one just 
humdrum, mediocre company. Yeah. Still looking for growth. <laughs> mediocre so. is the perfect word, I think. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about AbbVie. So, I mean, you kind of mentioned this. They have been desperately in need of diversification. Their bread and butter drug is Humira. Uh, made about $20 billion last year, about 60% of sales, so a huge chunk of their revenue. Um, but it's facing a huge patent cliff. Actually went off its core patent, I believe, in 2016. Um, but it's that patent exclusivity, particularly mm-hmm. here in the U.S., that is on tap for 2023. Um, AbV and their legal team, which I have to commend them, is probably one of the most creative legal teams out there, aside from Allergan. <laughs> um, but they have really been trying to stem the tide. Um, they've, I think, done over 100 different add-on patents to really kind of push away a lot of the competition. Yeah. Hasn't really worked. Um, we've already seen uh, biosimilars in Europe starting to drive down sales. So, Humira, during the first quarter of the year, global sales fell about 23% already ahead of this 2023 uh, time frame. So, AbbVie here is desperately trying to throw the kitchen sink at the problem. But there just hasn't been anything meaningfully meaningfully um, accretive to their their top line, yeah. particularly when it comes to their pipeline. They've got an approved drug, several in the pipeline. You're looking at maybe about $9.5 billion in annual sales just coming from expected drugs. That's not nearly enough to take care of that $20 billion Humira problem, though. No. And I mean, you, you look on the other side of the coin there with Allergan. I mean, they're facing a lot of the same problems there. And, you know, I was I was digging into their uh, 10K yesterday just to get a better idea of how reliant they are on Botox. Because I think that's the name probably most people associate with uh, Allergan. And, and Botox is interesting in that it's most people probably think of it as, as sort of a. Uh, you know, it's it's that injection to to help cure wrinkles and whatnot. It's somewhat you I don't want to say, say it, superficial, Jason. but I just I think it's kind of silly. Personally, I mean, you know, we all get older, just accept it and, 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 and you know embrace it. But but some people don't. So Botox Cosmetics helps that. Uh, there is a Botox therapeutic side of the business, which I think is is something we always need to mention because there are migraine implications there where Botox does help. So it's it's not a drug that is purely cosmetic. But either way, when you combine the two together, you're you're talking about two and a half billion plus. Uh, dollars in sales that uh, that Botox is responsible for for Allergan, and and that growth rate is slowing down a lot as well. So between Botox slowing down the patent cliff that you were talking about there, I mean it kind of goes back to that thing you said where you've got two sort of mediocre companies coming together. I don't know that that necessarily makes for one great company. Maybe it makes for a big mediocre company, but is that something we want to invest in? Not necessarily, Jason. <laughs> not for not. me personally. Um, I know we actually got a question about this. Like, what should I be doing with this as an AbV shareholder, and even some from Allergan shareholders? I think, from an Allergan perspective, you talked about Botox. Um, this is a drug. It's their bread and butter, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but they're already facing generic competi- competition. The FDA approved a cheaper version of Botox. We actually did a show on it, I think, in February about the wrinkle wars that are mm. now uh, starting um, with a company called Evolus. So you've got your bread and butter drug under pressure. Their number two drug, Restasis, um, which is for eye disease, also facing generic competition coming in 2024. Um, and of course, just like AbbVie, they've been trying to throw the kitchen sink at this problem. Allergan was the company, I don't know if you remember this, but this was the company that 
to try to protect their patents. Um, they actually attempted to sell it to a Native American tribe. Huh, I don't remember that. For patent immunity. Oh I mean, one of the God. most bizarre <laughs> um, legal uh, cases I think I've ever heard. That and even creative. just from a, a strategy perspective, really strange. So I think there was a lot of doubt cast on Brent Saunders with Allergan after that. Um, so this is a company very much under pressure. So you've got two companies trying to hold things together. Um, also, Allergan has a massive amount of debt yeah. um, to the tune of about $21 billion. If this deal goes through, it would make for a combined balance sheet, net debt of $18.5 billion, plus another $40 billion added just to get this deal closed. Yeah. And I mean, this is a market where debt loads are usually pretty heavy because these companies have to invest so much money in developing these drugs, and typically you need to develop a lot, so you have a pipeline that can shore up any weakness or headwinds when you run into situations. And, and so they tend to feed on a lot of debt, which is fine to a degree. Typically, they have the income statements that can help facilitate and cover that debt, but it's always something worth noting, particularly if you see two companies like this that are really running into some headwinds growth-wise. Yeah, and I think with Allergan uh, here, what Avi is trying to do with this acquisition, it's really not about growth. It's very much more about we need to fund R&D and we need to pay down some debt. And so you've got these cash cows like Botox that I think can help them do that. Mm -hmm. But this is definitely not a growth story. So if you're a growth investor, don't expect to see any sort of growth or innovation Allergan is not one that really invests heavily in R&D in and of itself. This is really about debt, and it's also about funding continual R&D. So, it still leaves the question, Jason, where is growth going to come from with this combined company? And I think that's still the bigger question and why you saw Abvi take such a hard hit right after this news was announced to him. Would you say I I feel like maybe this is sort of a defensive acquisition. Would you think that's that's a good way to put it? Fair. I mean, on Abvi's part. I think that's fair. It's a very Expensive yeah. defensive acquisition at $63 billion. I mean, that's four times, that's a four times multiple on 2018 revenue right now, which is not unheard of in the biopharma space. But I do think that those multiples tend to go with growth opportunities, yeah. not so much from a defensive play. So I, I can see why they did it. Um, but I would have loved to see AbbVie actually go after maybe smaller incremental deals that could actually drive growth long term yeah. rather than one huge, massive $63 billion deal didn't really address the issues that a lot of the investors um, have been poking and prodding AbbVie for. So, you still have a lot of lingering question marks. Um, if this deal closes, I think it's expected to close in early 2020. Um, we'll have to wait and see what that looks like. But ultimately, to your point, this is really just a defensive play. And if you're an investor, a shareholder in either of these companies, as long as you're comfortable with that and recognize this is not necessarily about growth, I think you're okay. Yeah, I feel like you raised a really good point there, and I feel like if if I was if I were going to be on that call and I could ask management one question, Avi management one question, it, it would be along the lines of what you were just talking about there. Instead of making this one mammoth acquisition, why wouldn't you go out there and try to find a bunch of smaller pipelines with some more attractive prospects? Because to your point, that is a Ton of money they're spending on basically one business with some questionable prospects. I've got to believe there are a lot of smaller little biotech opportunities out there with some pipelines. Kind of the way we talk about investing in the space, anyway, right? Taking that basket approach, invest in a bunch of small uh, biotechs because you know some of them won't pan out, but some of them will. Why wouldn't they take that same approach? Because clearly they have the money to do it. 
but I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll <laughs> never know. We'll have to get on their next quarterly call and ask them that very question, Shannon. I'll hold you to it, Jason. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right, so we'll be sure to keep all of our listeners up to date on all the latest happening with this deal as it pans out. On the other side of the break, Jason is going to give us the rundown on his health care and wealth care basket. But first, a quick word from our friends at NetSuite. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their patchwork quilt of business systems. One system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources. And that ultimately hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at NetSuite.com slash full. That's NetSuite.com slash full to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. All right, and we are back. So, Jason, um, before we dive into the stocks in your healthcare and wealthcare basket, maybe let's just set the stage a little bit for our listeners who may not be aware. What led you to this basket approach, and specifically this basket approach within the healthcare and wealthcare space. Yeah, I mean, it, it, probably some folks are familiar with the war on cash basket that I did. That was something that sort of came to to be with Chris Hill and I just lobbing back the question every quarter on market foolery as to why we hadn't bought stocks in some of those companies because clearly it was just a huge market opportunity. And, and what I thought of was, you know, it is a big market opportunity, and it's not like you have to pick one winner. And so, that was sort of the impetus uh, behind this uh, basket as well. Because, I mean, when you look at, at healthcare, I mean, as you know, and, and our listeners know, it is a massive, massive market opportunity, not only on a, a domestic level, but, but a global level. Um, and, and just to put that in into context, I mean, when you look at total national health expenditures as a percent of GDP here just in the country, I mean, you're talking about a number that's closing in on 20%. I mean, it is a big part of our overall economy, and that number is only continuing to go up. I don't think it's reasonable to assume that uh, our neighbors here across the river are going to crack the code of healthcare anytime soon. It's going to be just an expensive uh, market that's going to keep on growing. And so I thought, well, you know, I like big and growing market opportunities and there's not one company that's going to win this space. There are a lot of them. And and so I just sort of took a stab at trying to find some of the companies in the space that I felt like could uh, do well in the coming 5-10 years. Great. So basket approach and I think it makes a lot of sense, Jason. Um, we recently put out, I believe it was an Instagram question about, you know, do you invest in healthcare stocks? And I'd say the number one theme um, for those that said they did not was because they felt it was too risky. And huh. for a lot of them, they were talking about biotech and pharma, right. which is exactly right. Very risky, very aggressive strategy. Um, but I like the basket approach, in particular, the stocks that you have in this basket, because really, 
each of these stocks, and we'll get to them in a second, really serves a very critical need within the healthcare system. Yeah. Um, they have opportunities, given all the reasons you just said, when it comes to pricing, when it comes to efficiency. Um, this is just a simpler, less risky way to invest for those who are wanting some healthcare exposure but don't necessarily want to go the biotech farmer route either. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I, mean, I do appreciate that. Like the biotech space is really risky, and people probably associate that most with investing in healthcare because those are probably the companies getting get most of the headlines. And a lot of that's just because of that sexy growth everybody's looking oh, for, yeah. right? I mean, it's that growth, and everybody's looking for a way to get rich quick. Uh, this certainly is not meant to do that. Um, it is something where I felt like I could put together four companies that gave us a nice sort of risk profile that that I think investors are looking uh, to pursue. This is not a basket where these are all high-risk names. Um, it is certainly not the only way to do this. This is just one way to do it. It is a way I did it. You can tell me I'm wrong, and I won't be offended. You could give me some other names that should be in the basket, and I will likely agree with you. <laughs> but you got to draw the line somewhere. And so I just drew it at four companies. But typically, I look anywhere from four to six companies to go in one of these baskets. And these are companies that I've covered for a long time. Um, and, and to your point, I think they all fire in on their own specific part of the healthcare system, um, where you know they they're going to continue i think to grow for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so let's start with the first one. This is insurance company United Health Group that's ticker symbol UNH. Jason, tell us about this one. Why does this one um why did it come across your screen, your radar? What makes it so interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, we all like um having access to healthcare, right? However we part. get it. I mean, we want to <laughs> we want to have access to it. It's a bit nebulous at times as to how we exactly do have access to it. I mean, you you have a job, you get health insurance. It's not really clear exactly who that's with or what you get or how much you're going to owe when you go to the doctor because it doesn't seem like there's any real standard pricing model anywhere at this point. Um, but the bottom line is that the healthcare system for the foreseeable future is not going to work without insurance. Um, and, and United Health is the largest insurance company in the space, uh, domestically and, and globally speaking. I mean, it is certainly spreading its wings. So, you know, you look at a company in a in a market where I mean, it, the service they provide is going to be essentially necessary for the foreseeable future. The size of the company matters, I think, in this case. And there are huge barriers to entry when it comes to health insurance. I mean, it's not like you and I could just go start a health insurance company. I mean, we could, but we would probably fail because there's a lot to do in just getting that business started. Um, they've already done a lot of that hard work. And, and the size the size of the company tells you that they've been doing a pretty good job at it. So, with vast financial resources, they're very well positioned to deal with any and all changes that come to the regulatory landscape in the coming years. Um, it's a big company. It's a little bit lower on the risk profile. But that was kind of the point, was to give us a sort of a bedrock company where we know it's not going to be growing terribly quickly, but it probably shouldn't have the rug pulled out from under it either. Yeah, I love this pick, Jason. Um, it's really about the scale and the size of this company. You mentioned it's the largest insurer in the business. Also, single largest employer of physicians, more than 35,000 physicians. Largest in terms of the pharmacy benefit managers, they processed over $160 billion in payments. It's the size and the scale that I think is really important when we talk about 
cost efficiency with healthcare. Yeah. Um, when you have that type of size, and also this is a company that's really been focused on data and analytics um, more so than many of the others. I think that plus size and scale. If I had to put my pick on one company that I think could help drive down cost, it would be United Health Group. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people immediately will think United Healthcare, largest insurer, you know, healthcare for profit. This is just an evil company. And and I mean, I get, I understand that perspective, but I would encourage you to look at it from the other other angle. I mean, it's not like United Healthcare. Is the company that set up our healthcare system in this country, right? I mean, that's something that's been in the works for for many, many years. In in essentially, our politicians have kind of given us what we've got. Um, there are all sorts of different philosophies and takes on healthcare. I would encourage you to go read a book called The Healing of America. I think that's what it's called, The Healing of America by T. R. Reed. Um, it is a great book which talks about he he basically travels the globe and looks at healthcare systems in all different countries and compares them to ours. To show where they're doing better, where we're doing better. So it, it, the number one takeaway from the book is this is not an easy problem to solve anywhere. Um, and and if you think that other countries have it all figured out, well, read that book. You'll see it's not quite so cut and dry. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think with a with a company this size, with its resources, I mean, they are going to be able to play a role in helping drive down the cost of healthcare. I think it's also reasonable to say, well, this is a company that has to answer to shareholders, which means they need to maximize profitability. So there is a bit of a delicate dance there for sure. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, as we come up to the 2020 presidential election, um, we've heard a lot of rhetoric, Medicare for all. We'll have to see how that plays out. But I mean, this is a company that was able to navigate the Affordable Care Act waters very well. Sure. Um, So I I have no doubt about them being able to navigate anything that comes down the road, should it happen. I tend to agree. Um, Let's talk about the second one. So, second company, uh, medical device company, and this is Massimo Corporation. That's ticker symbol M-A-S-I. Jason, tell us what exactly they do and yeah. why this one is compelling too. Yeah, this is one probably not as many are, are familiar with, but you know, back in 2011 we had um, a, a thing that we did here on fool.com where some of us who decided we wanted to try to run a real money portfolio in a public facing manner, we were able to do that. And it was this initiative called Rising Stars and Massimo was a company that I found for that portfolio and bought in that portfolio back in 2011. And it struck me in researching the company what they do, and I'll translate this, but they're in the business ultimately of pulse oximetry. And so whenever you go to the hospital, if you have to check in for surgery or anything like that, typically you're going to have something in there, a device, um, some equipment that measures the oxygen levels in your blood, uh, among other things. And, And it's essentially required. Like You have to have that in there. Doctors need that in order to assess how you're doing. And so Massimo is in the business of that. They make those devices, they make the equipment and the consumables that that help all of that happen. It's an interesting company from the perspective that the founder, Joe Kiani, founded the company essentially in his garage, you know, figured out how to kind of build this technology um, and and then really just ran off with it. And and nobody has, has really been able to develop something better. And now the company's celebrating its 30th anniversary. Um, they've they've gone beyond pulse oximetry into other testing equipment and monitoring equipment. They have a beautiful razor and blade model. They get that big equipment in the hospital, and then the hospital has to keep buying those consumables. And uh, it gives the company this opportunity to continue to innovate. The numbers tell us that hospitals like the technology. 
Um, I like the founder-led culture. So it's a little bit of a higher risk play than United Health, but still a fairly well-established company. Um, and, I mean, I own shares in it personally, too. So uh, one that I think will continue to do well. Yeah, and they've actually got an augmented reality play. They do, as yeah. well, which is really interesting to me, especially as we talk about just the delivery of healthcare, staying connected, being able to make decisions faster. Um, Tell us about this AR. I think that's the cool thing about companies like these. They're small founder-like companies where you know, they're not beholden to all of this red tape and trying to figure out what they want to do. They're essentially going with one guy's vision and, and the things that he wants to do. And he has assembled a team of innovators with him, and they all try all these different things. And a lot of it, really, when you talk about augmented reality and virtual reality and how technology is going to help our healthcare system, um, I mean, eyewear, I think, is really the big medium for augmented reality technology in the coming years. You have Google and Microsoft and other companies that are working on those types of, of things. And so, incorporating monitoring e- equipment or monitoring platforms for physicians, for example. So, when they're in the hospital, regardless of where they are in the hospital, they can see a patient's progress or vitals right then and there uh, is a good example of, of what Massimo is, is doing to, to incorporate uh, more technology into their business. And, and it's it's something where, uh, you know, with this company in particular, it's still very early days in, in how they're incorporating that. But, but reading about the things that they're trying, it's a pretty cool business. And um, again, I think it really all boils back down to, to the founder and his CEO. And the nice thing is there, he's a young guy, too, so we should have a lot of years left to watch him kind of do his thing. <laughs> he's got a long runway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I love I love the play there, especially with innovation. And, of course, we can't talk about redefining healthcare without talking about the third stock in your basket, and that is Teladoc. That yeah. is ticker symbol TDOC. Um, I know we've talked about Teladoc on the show. Jason, tell our listeners, what did they do for those who may not be aware? Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, it's virtual healthcare, right? It's seeing the doctor over the internet. And, uh, um, this is a really neat business that I, I started following this business shortly before it went public. And I had spoken with a friend of mine at the Dallas Business Journal at the time, and we were talking about the you know company going public and what its chances were. And, and even back then, I thought, you know what, they're do, they're solving a problem that exists. Um, and and I you know it made me think back to the day where you know David Gardner was talking about like with Amazon and how there was so much skepticism back then that people would ever even consider putting their credit card information on a website and buy something from a website. There's just no way. There's no security. That's insane. Balderdash. Uh, Fast forward to today, and and we obviously know that that result there. Anybody in the world pretty much knows that going to the doctor's office is not a pleasant experience. Um, And it's not always necessary either. And I think that's what this company was really geared on from the beginning, is trying to become sort of that new front door for the medical care experience. There are situations where you don't necessarily need to go to the doctor's office. And uh, Teladoc has built a nice virtual healthcare app that uh, enables people to go ahead and use that app as essentially that first step in their healthcare uh, pursuit. And, and I mean, I can use just a specific example that happened to me in my life where I just immediately, I thought, you know what, I'm sold. This is for real. I was taking my daughter, I'm sure some people have heard this story before, I was taking my daughter to a horseback riding lesson. I saw that my eye was turning red. You have kids, then you know what pink oh, eye yeah. is. And I thought, oh, God, now I've got pink eye. And then you know how you got to go to the doctor, you got to get the prescription for the drops, and it's a to- it's a waste of a day. So I park in the parking lot. My daughter goes in and starts riding. I open my phone, open the Teladoc app. 20 minutes later, after having a video chat with a doctor in Texas, of all places, and we're in Virginia, uh, she was able to diagnose the pink eye. 
Uh, e prescribed the eye drops to the CVS by her house. I picked them up on the way home. Problem solved. Fifteen dollar copay. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, as they say. And um, that's ultimately what they're doing. They're not trying to say, well, if you have a heart attack, you can use Teladoc. That's not what you do. <laughs> but there are cases where it does work. And so I think what we're seeing now is buy in in the virtual healthcare space. All of the, the the regulatory barriers have all been uh, cleared. I mean, the the regulatory environment has been changed to accept uh, virtual healthcare, and United Healthcare is another business that is is helping shape that. And believe it or not, Teladoc is actually a partner of uh, Optum with United Healthcare, so big base there as well. Yeah, and just a huge growth opportunity. Eighty five percent of the U S. will contact a health professional in any given year. That translates to about a billion office visits annually. Teladoc uh, has the potential to actually right now they're doing about two million of them. So when you look at that runway over the long term, huge opportunity. Mental health, yeah, that's another one, one huge area. I think with a lot of the stigma associated with mental health, um, and it's becoming just much more. Um, Okay to talk about, and people are wanting assistance with mental health. That's a huge opportunity as well for Teladoc too. It is, and you mentioned a good word there in in the stigma related that's associated, I think, with, with mental health care. Um, finally, now we have a way where someone can pursue mental health care without necessarily having to even leave their home. And that really, I think, opens people up to the possibilities of, of even asking for help in the first place. Because if you feel like you need that help, and then there's the option for you to actually have a visit without ever having to leave your home, well, that's the ultimate form of privacy right there. And, and we're certainly seeing the company making big investments in, the, in that space as well. And, and it does seem like uh, mental, mental health is becoming a... Uh, a more talked about thing here, nationally speaking. I don't know. That's my perception. I, see, I, I it totally seems like it's agree. Being talked more about, and that's good. I totally agree. Um, so yeah. So I think for a company like this, it's all about access. But that brings us to the fourth stock in your basket, Jason, because <laughs> access is not just for humans; it's also for our furry animal friends within our family. And that brings us to IDEX Laboratories, and that's ticker symbol IDXX. Jason, we are literally covering the entire gamut of healthcare. We've got of animals course. now. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, one of these things is not like the other. But um, listen, this is coming from the perspective of the owner of three dogs, okay? I've got three dogs at home. I grew up with a house full of dogs and my mom's cat. We've had animals and pets all of my life. I have a very, very soft spot in my heart for them. And um, I could never imagine a day without them. Um, and so for me, Finding IDEX Laboratory, I've been following this company for years, and, and part of the reason why I discovered them was because of my veterinarian. And um, this is another, you know, we talked about Massimo being a razor and blade model. IDEX is a razor and blade model as well. They get that equipment into the labs of the veterinarians, and then the veterinarians use the the consumables to run diagnostic tests. And, and typically with pets, um, you know, they're fairly standard. You know, you take them in for their annual checkup and they get their shots and whatnot. But what veterinarians are finding, particularly as pets get older, is that there's just simple little diagnostic tests they can run uh, via either urine or fecal or blood to discover if there are issues that are coming up far earlier that you need to address. And so, um, between that, the fact that the pet care market is such an attractive one because we feel so strongly about our pets. Uh, and it's typically a cash business. I mean, I know there's pet insurance, but most people don't use it, and I'm still not convinced that's actually a really credible market anyway. Um, 
there are just a lot of things to like about what IDEX is doing. It's 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 a competitive space for sure. And in one of their competitive advantages is that they continue to reinvest in their business and develop new tests and diagnostic equipment and things. So as they continue to reinvest, I mean, I would that would be a concern of mine is if they started pulling on those purse strings a little bit, then I'd be a little bit concerned. But but as it stands, they continue to invest heavily, bring new products. They've got a great reputation with veterinarians, particularly the private practices. Um, so a lot to like there is really a play on on what is I think a very attractive market in, in pets. Do you have any pets? I don't. No. My my husband is allergic to anything with fur. Well, that's so I mean, we're working on him though because uh, I, I grew know. up with dogs. So my yeah. heart is uh, I have a huge heart for animals in general. So does my daughter. So we'll get there. But yeah, <laughs> I, I can see a company like this with such a massive focus on pet care in general. Um, I think that's an area that doesn't get enough focus right now. Probably not. Um, The medicinal market for pets is huge. Um, CBD now for pets. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was talking yesterday on Market Foolery about Zoetis, which is the company that was spun out from Pfizer, and they're the ones that develop those vaccines and medicines for animals. And you know, Whenever I go to the vet, I'm not lying to you. That bill, I see IDEX and Zoetis on there. So, you now understand why I own (laughs) Shares in both companies. I mean, I'm getting at least something back from that money I'm putting out there. At least something you're getting back there, Jason. <laughs> All right. So to close this out, Jason, tell us a little bit about performance. How has this basket done for you? Well, the basket has done very well. I'm proud to say uh, this was the date of inception of this basket was February 9th of 2018. That's when I uh, opened it up and introduced it uh, to everybody. And thus far, um, an investment in this basket is up 55 percent versus the market's performance of 11.4%. So, it's done very well. Um, there are all, f- all four companies are absolute positive returners. Four, uh, three of the four are beating the market. I will say the one that is underperforming the market, which is United Healthcare, uh, or United Health Group, is underperforming the market by just a half a percentage point. So, it's pretty close. Uh, but any which way you look at it, they're all four contributing to the performance there. And, and I, I think that that's you know, slated to continue. Yeah, pretty stellar performance. Jason, I'm going to have to have you back on the show because we want updates on how this basket is performing. Think you'll think you'll rejoin me back on the show for an update? You know that I'll be in here anytime <laughs> you ask me. I appreciate that. And I'm sure our viewers do as well. And that will do it for this week's Industry Focus Healthcare show. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan. For Jason Moser, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on.